Hello and welcome to Church at the Bridge. Thank you so much for checking out our weekly sermon podcast. Today is week two of our current series, Knowing God. And the title of today's message is The Living Word of God. We pray you enjoy today's word. Amen. All right. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for allowing us to join you in your homes to bring you a word in season. Today, we're going to be continuing our latest series entitled Knowing God. And in the second installment of this uh, sermon series that we're on, uh, our aim is not uh, to kind of give you your own ideas. For those of you that have called Church at the Bridge your home for some time, you are well aware that we are not interested in giving you our opinions. We are not looking to give you our own thoughts and our own ideas. We simply want you to know God personally. And so today's uh, sermon really ties into that because our intent in this series is not to teach you things about God. It's to point you to the scriptures, but listen closely why that's so important. It's so that you can investigate the nature, the character, and the person of God for yourself. But more importantly, so you can know him personally. And so I want to encourage you to not take my word for it, so to speak. I want to encourage you to go beyond what you're, what, what you're hearing today. I want to implore you to research the scriptures for yourself concerning who God is and how he relates to you. And I want to challenge you to move past the intake of information about God. You know what that's called? That's called going to church. And I want you to make a decision to know God personally. And so if we're going to take this seriously today, if we're going to really be uh, diligent about knowing God, it is of utmost importance that we understand the relationship between God and his word. And so today I'd like to talk to you on the topic of the living word of God. And as we get started, I want you to consider a question for personal reflection. That question being, what's your relationship to the Bible. What's your relationship to the Bible? How do you relate to it? How do you approach it? What's your perspective of it? Is it a book to read? Is it a roadmap of principles for life? Is it information that helps you become a better person? Is it fables or stories? Or is it something more? My prayer is that you're going beyond what you think you know about God's word. Because you see, how you relate to God and his word determines how it will impact you. How you relate to God's word determines how it will impact you. Let me tell you what I'm talking about here. If it's a roadmap of principles for life, you'll only seek to understand how you can apply it when your circumstances necessitate it. Think about it. If it's fables and stories... You'll approach it with skepticism. Listen, if it's a book to read, you'll read it just to get to the end of it. And if it's information that helps you become a better person, here's the truth. You'll look to it only to the extent that you feel you need to improve. And so, for some of us, we're probably wondering, well, what does all this have to do with Knowing God. And to you, I say, I am so glad you asked. 
Let me tell you what I'm talking about here today. The Bible is not a book for information about God. It's not for self-help. It's not for input for better decision-making. And it's not for ritualistic religious observance. Listen closely. The Bible is God personified. What does that mean? Let me put it to you another way. The Bible is God. As you interact with God's word, you are literally interacting with God. You are discovering his nature, his character, his person. You're meeting God on a personal level. Now, I realize that for some of us and for some of you who are watching, you're looking at me a little strange right now. I want you to join me in saying this because that statement that I just made that the Bible is God personified is difficult to conceptualize for most people. So say with me, I love Pastor Jose. And I want you to remember you said that. And I'm going to tell you why I want you to remember you said that. Because I am going to challenge you with the scriptures today as we unpack this topic of the Bible being God personified. I want to talk to you, as I said, about the living word of God. And if we're going to learn that, if we're going to dig into that, we have to look to an example of God personified through his word. And I can think of no better example than Luke chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. It starts off by saying that after he had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum, he meaning Jesus. And now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. And when the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews. That means he sent the the, the priests of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who has built for us our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. And when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. You know what he's saying there? He's saying, I'm not fit. I don't qualify for you to come into my home. And so verse seven says, therefore, I did not presume to come to you But say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. And turning to the crowd that follow him, he said, I tell you, not even in all. Israel, have I found such faith? And when those who had seen, who, who, who had been sent, returned to the house, they found the servant well. Now, in this story, we see two types of people seeking Jesus with different understandings and agendas. One group was seeking him for personal gain as a miracle worker, the other, a man also seeking a miracle. But understanding the power of the miracle maker and the power contained in his words. And so there's some things that we notice about this story that I want to point out to you. 
Number one, we notice that the Jewish elders were concerned with the standing that they had with this man because he was favorable towards them. The Bible tells us that he even built them a synagogue, a Roman centurion building a synagogue for Jewish believers. That didn't happen in those days. And so they wanted to keep this man on their good side. And while seeking Jesus as a miracle worker, the truth is that they were missing him as God incarnated before him, before them. And so many people live this way today, seeking Jesus for what he can do for them because God cares for us all. I mean, he provides. The scripture tells us that if he cares for the ravens of the air, the birds of the air, and and the, the lilies in the field, of how much more value aren't we to him than they? And so God cares for all. God provides for all. God's mercy is available for all. But many people, while having all that, miss a real and personal relationship with God. On the other hand, we have another group or person, per se. We have the Roman centurion who knew Jesus differently and approached him differently. What we see is that while he also had heard about Jesus, he understood who Jesus was differently. We know that for two reasons. Number one, because when he hears that Jesus is on the way to his home, he says, I am not worthy for you to come to my home. In other words, he's saying, there's something greater about you than me. He understood who Jesus was and he understood the power in his words. And so he did not feel that he was qualified to have Jesus enter his home. And so he understood that when Jesus spoke, something was happening. And we've got to consider what this man knew. Because he was a man of great authority, he understood that when he gave a command, His words weren't just instruction. He understood that when he spoke, his words conveyed not only his power, it was as if he, the person, was there. And so that's an important point because when Jesus spoke the word of healing, this man understood that Jesus was present, that God was was in the midst of those words spoken. Thus, they had great impact. You know, growing up, I remember that my mom would give us a list of chores every week. My job was to clean the fish tank, to take out the garbage, and to clean all the glass and wood in the living room. But here's the thing. My mother wouldn't verbally speak that to us because she was gone on the weekends working 24-hour shifts. And so what would happen is my mom would leave us a list of chores written out. And the thing about it is this, that I understood that that just wasn't a piece of paper. I understood that Rosa Etelvina Garcia gave those instructions. Now, if you know anything about Rosa Etelvina Garcia, here's what you would know if you knew her like I do, that when my mother spoke, you listened. And when my mother gave a command, you followed through. Now, how does that relate to this story? In light of this man's words, Jesus reveals something to us about God. Listen to what he says in verse 10 in response to what just happened when he got this message from one of this man's friends. He says, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such 
faith. You know what Jesus was saying? I have yet to find someone in Israel who understands that my word is synonymous with me as God. See, to know God, to know God's word is to know God. I'm going to say that again. To know God's word is to know God. And this is powerful. You know why it's powerful? Because it gives us the ability to experience the Bible as more than just words on paper. As more than just the writings of men. It releases us to know God personally and intimately. It's the very reason why you're listening right now. See, for some of us, we've been seeking to know about God. But I want you to see from this clear example that God wants you and I to know him personally. And so in Hebrews chapter 4, God reveals Jesus as our high priest. And he teaches us that the, that the Sabbath is no longer a day of observance, but it's really about a relationship with Jesus that produces rest because of our confidence and reliance upon his finished work. Now, in this chapter, God contrasts who experiences this rest versus those who don't by showing us what makes the difference in knowing Jesus. Listen to Hebrews chapter 4, verses 2 through the first half of verse 3. It says, For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. We who have believed enter that rest. I want you to see something. That those who do not experience intimate relationship with God and enter the great rest provided by Jesus cannot do so because their understanding of the good news, that's God's word, and what it reveals through his word is not founded in faith that listens for God. Listen. If you're going to have faith, it has to be a faith that strives and presses and rests in simply knowing God. I know for some of us, we've been in the habit of saying, man, I'm having faith for a car. Does that mean that your faith is in a car? Or does that mean that you have faith in God alone? See, we got to get this issue of faith in its proper context. And so thus, in Hebrews 4.12, in context from what we just read in Hebrews 4.2 and 3, we see something about the word of God. It says, for the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and the discerning of the thoughts and intentions of the heart. See, God's word is living and active, and it has the power to penetrate you to your very core. But the reason why it's living and active and can impact your life so deeply is because in it is contained the person known as God. It is God. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 tells us from the Living Bible that the whole Bible was given to us By inspiration from God. That word inspiration there means to divinely breathe into. It's life deposited. 
And so when we read this, we got to understand that the whole Bible was given to us by inspiration from God. It is God. And thus, it is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It straightens us out and helps us to do what is right. It is God's way of making us well-prepared at every point, fully equipped to do good to everyone. You know, a great visual illustration of this can be found in Ezekiel 37. And I don't have time to get into it, but you'll find that God gives Ezekiel a command. Ezekiel's in a vision in a valley of bones. And God says to Ezekiel, command these dry bones to live. And the Bible says that Ezekiel spoke the command given to him by God. And that that valley of dry bones began to rise up and flesh began to grow upon it. See, the life was contained not in what Ezekiel said. It was contained in the words of God themselves. And so in Psalm 138, verse 2, we see that it says, I will worship toward your holy temple and praise your name. Listen closely. For your loving kindness and your truth. For you have magnified your word above all your name. I want you to see something about God's word in relation to his person and knowing him. The psalmist David never saw God nor ever touched God physically. But he had a deep and personal relationship with God. As a matter of fact, God called him a man after his own heart. But we have to wonder why. And in this verse, we get a glimpse into the relationship that David had with God. And we see what was at the core of it. We see that he worshiped and he praised God. But at the core of his life, of his life being was a profound understanding of this. He knew that God magnified his word above the calling of his name. That's what the original Hebrew says there. God magnifies, he exalts, he puts it on full display, his word, his spoken written word above the calling of his name. Many people say, I'm depending on God. But listen, if you're depending on God while not depending on his word, you're not depending on God at all. And so, in other words, what we see here is that David understood that God is magnified. That God is up close and personal, if you would. But it's through his word. And my friends, I want to say this to you, that you can know God because you have his word. You can know God because you have his word. And so for the next couple of moments that I have here, I want to give you some keys to knowing God in his word. And the first thing that I want to speak to you specifically is this, that knowing God has to be your first priority. Knowing God has to be your first priority. Listen to Proverbs 8, 17. It says, I love those who love me. This is God speaking. And those who seek me early and diligently will find me. Now, we got to really dig into this because this goes far beyond our need to read God's word. This gets to the very core of what we value and should challenge us to question our estimate of God and his word. 
See, every day, you and I, we rise to a list of priorities. Isn't that true? We rise to a list of priorities, and those priorities are many. And we diligently work to see them come to fruition in our lives. You know why? Because we move towards that which we value most. And so, I want you to consider this question. Is knowing God at the top of your list of priorities? You know, that's, 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 a, that's a real tough question when we consider it. Because we all have priorities. And every one of those priorities pulls at our heart for first place. But there's only one priority that should be top in our life. And it's knowing God. You know, here's the litmus test to know where you stand in this regard. Are you diligent or casual about your search to know God? Is it something that you just do on Sundays? Is it something that you just do when that group of people get together to talk about the Bible? Is it something that you do when you're in difficulty? Is it something that you do just a chapter a day to keep the devil away? Or is it something that you are active and diligent about? I love what the psalmist David says. He says, early I seek to know you. Early, he says, Uh, I'm sorry, God says, those who seek me early and diligently will find me. That's the type of person David was. That's the type of person that we're called to be. But what's most important here is this, that when God says you will find me, he's not talking about you finding a concept about him. That word find there literally speaks of meeting. It literally means to meet. And by way of this meeting, we learn, we acquire, and we fall in with. See, when you seek God in his word, you got to get this. You will meet him. You are meeting him. You are learning from him. You are becoming one with him. Why? Because God isn't hiding from you. He wants to meet you daily. And the meeting place is found in his inspired word. And so when you substitute God's word, I want you to understand something, that you substitute God. That's our second point. When you substitute God, when you substitute God's word, you substitute God. I'm all for reading and exploring the observations of men as it pertains to their understanding of God. Nothing wrong with that. But I cannot And neither should you. I cannot advocate following the teachings of men in place of knowing God personally in his word. Joshua was a man who passionately sought God and had great success in life. But it came by way of a dependence upon God's word. Listen to Joshua 1, 7 and 8. It says, only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do all the law which Moses, my servant, Commanded you, watch this, do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. 
For then you will make your way prosperous. And then you will have good success. Listen to what God told Joshua in verse 7. He said, do not turn to the right or to the left of my word. That you may prosper wherever you go. I want you to see something. That God's word is meant to be the central piece of your life. And the moment you begin to turn to the opinions of men to the left, or you begin to follow after this great man or woman of God's teaching on your right, while you may be getting something good, the question is, is it God? Because if it's not drawing you to a personal relationship with God, then guess what? You're not getting God's word. You're getting a good revelation. And so the moment you begin to follow a man's teachings, you, be, you stop following God. It's the very reason why I'm known to say this, and I'll say it right here publicly. Please don't trust my words. Please don't look to me as your source to know God. Listen, my job is simple. My job is to point you to God. My job is to reveal some things from the scriptures to you about God. But your job and my job individually is to pursue and know God personally. And that cannot happen independent of God's words. I remember many years ago, we were living in the city and there was a time, the time had come where... uh, you know, my, my wife was getting a sense of that it was time to move. And I was resisting it for many reasons. But one of the main reasons why I was resisting it was because I felt tied to the ministry that we were in. And I felt tied specifically to the man that was the pastor there. And so when it came time to move, I remember that there was a friend of his, a guest preacher who came to preach that weekend. And uh, for, for whatever reason, we ended up, you know, crossing paths at the end. And, and this guest preacher who was a good friend of this man that I admired greatly said to me, if you leave the side of this man, if you leave this house of teaching, he said to me, it will be for the destruction of you and your family. I remember going home that day and saying to my wife, honey, we're not moving. We, we were already in contract. I said, break the contract. We're not moving. We've got to stay here. But then all of a sudden, God's word began to work its perfect work in my heart. I began to consider something. Where in the scriptures does it tell me that if I'm not tied to a specific man or person, that God will bring destruction upon my life? And I got to tell you, I couldn't find it in scripture. And thus, something sparked in me, truth. And I realized I was busy depending upon men. More importantly, I was substituting God for for someone. I was substituting God's word. And so you see, when you substitute God's word, when you place confidence in people, in ministries, in, in, in the writings of certain men or the teachings or the following of prophet this person or pastor that person. If you're so tied to a person, just realize that you're substituting God. And God doesn't want that. And neither do you. I can guarantee you that there is not one person 
in this world that wants relationship with someone that they care for by means of someone else in between them. It doesn't work that way. It's not the way we're designed. And you and I were designed to know God personally. Thus, we have his word. I want to encourage you to stick with God's word because it will never steer you wrong. It will always lead you to knowing God for yourself. And the last point that I want to leave you with here as we close is this, that you won't know what you know until you strive to know it. I'm going to say that again because I know for some of you that's a tongue twister. and you're already going, okay, this guy's gone off his rocker. But I'm going to read that again to you. You won't know what you know until you strive to know it. And I'm going to show you that from Scripture in Jeremiah 31, verses 33 and 34. Listen to the words of God. He says, this is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me. Listen closely. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. It's very possible that there's someone here today and you see yourself as small in light of your understanding of the word of God. Let me tell you that your stature in your estimate has nothing to do with what God has done in you. The scriptures clearly declare that the day has come, it's the one that we're living in now, that God has deposited his word in us. How can I say that so confidently? You know, the book of John chapter 1 says this, that in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And in verse 14, it tells us that that word became flesh and it dwelt among us. See, that same word is at work in you. That same word that was contained in the lips and in the heart of Jesus is yours. In other words, God is alive and at work in you. And you have the word. You know the word. The scriptures declare that you have an anointing. And because of this anointing, you know all things. But here's the thing about what you know. You have to dig to know it personally. You have to strive to know what God has deposited in you. See, the key to unpacking this, though, is to understand that as you study God's word and you know God more and more, God becomes crystal clear to you. Listen, the key to knowing God It's simple. It's knowing his word personally. You might be saying, well, how do I do that? You know, when I want to get up close and personal with someone, I don't pick up a phone. I don't do it by way of video chat. I don't do it by way of text. I don't do it by way of private messenger. You know what I do? I go where that person is. And I stay there. And I talk face to face. It reminds me of a portion of scripture that we, I wasn't planning on, but I'll share it with you anyway. 
In John 15, Jesus says these words. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask what you want, you'll receive it. You know why you can get what you want at that point? Because you know God and you know God's heart. See, that word abide there speaks of staying in one place. It speaks of residing. It speaks of sinking into. It speaks of remaining. And here's what God's saying. Would you abide with me? Would you get up close and personal with me? Would you know my living word and discover a living God in you? As we close here today, I believe that there are some of us that there's different responses to this word. For some of us, this is hitting straight to our heart and the need that we have to know God. For others, we know of God and we may know God in instances and moments in our life, but it's dry. And God is speaking his word and he's saying, would you get back to the place of abiding and knowing me that those dead bones would rise and you would live. And then there are some of us that we're, we're resting in Christ. We're walking in fellowship with God. We're, 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 we're intimate with God's word. The message to you is stay there. Don't leave that place. But whoever you are, Here's what's true about us all, you and me. We need to know God personally. Hey, CTBNY family. Thank you again for tuning in to our weekly sermon podcast. We are so excited that you could join us and pray that God spoke to you directly through this message. We want to encourage you to share this message with someone, whether it's through social media or text message. We also want to know how this word impacted your life. Give us a call at the church to tell us how. Thank you once again for joining us, and we'll see you again next week.